to the Plugged In Podcast, a new project from the Institute for Energy Research. To find out more about our work, visit our website at instituteforenergyresearch.org. Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stevens. On October 17th, IER's Director of Policy, Kenny Stein, provided testimony before the Indiana State Legislature's 21st Century Energy Policy Development Task Force. The task force was set up to examine the state's policies towards electricity generation and examine the impacts of technological and other shifts in electricity generation portfolios. Here is a recording of Kenny's remarks. Uh, thank you for having me. My name is Ken Stein. I'm the policy director for the Institute for Energy Research in Washington, D.C. We're a think tank that's based on energy and environmental policy. Um, we're an ideologically free market organization. We believe that free markets and energy lead to the affordable and abundant energy that makes modern life possible. So that's just sort of to stay, say, state my uh, ideological priors uh, before I begin. Um, current energy markets, of course, are nobody's idea of free. Subsidies and mandates heavily tilt the playing field, uh, often in favor of things like renewables, uh, like wind and solar. And this problem matters well beyond Indiana. Even a perfectly level playing field in Indiana is still affected by the incentives of neighboring states or in Washington, D.C., since the imports of subsidized electricity can undermine the economics of in-state generators. So I'm, I'm proposing that there are three principles that should be the goal in uh, electricity. One, abundance, two, affordability, and three, reliability. As I stated above, I don't think that government intervention or dictates are the best way to achieve these goals, but if there is a goal for government electricity, it should be reducing special favors for any one energy source with the goal of having a diverse mixture of competing energy sources with the comp competition between these sources delivering savings ultimately to the customers because that should be the goal of affordability. Uh, I just want to point out there's this idea that's widely promulgated and believe that renewables are good, that more renewables is always better. Uh, in this case, renewables uh, is overwhelmingly referring to wind and solar, uh, but this is an ideological position. It's not a position that's really grounded in evidence. Um, I'll say up front that I'm not blanket opposed to renewables. Uh, it makes sense in some places. Uh, for example, in Arizona, solar power makes a lot of sense because it helps deal with peak uh, afternoon air conditioning demand. But that doesn't mean that solar panels make sense in Massachusetts where they're covered with snow for six months out of the year. It's this kind of cost benefit that is not uh, sorely lacking. It's really sorely lacking in discussions about energy generation, uh, especially when it comes to renewables. So uh, just want to point out first what should be obvious, but it's rarely mentioned. Electricity demand, uh, with few exceptions, like my home state of Texas, has not been growing. And this has been the case for about a decade. So absent electricity demand growth, this means that new energy investment that's going on today is only replacing existing generation. So any ever more renewables investment is frankly mostly unneeded, unneeded because it is cannibalizing from existing sources or shutting down plants that are often already fully paid off, shutting them down early in order to pay, spend more money to build new wind and solar. This means that this new investment is increasing cost of benefits. That's all passed on to customers, and you're not getting any additional benefit. You're not meeting any new demand here. Now, clearly, there are drawbacks to any electricity generation source, uh, particularly for reliability purposes. If wind's not blowing, the sun's not shining. Natural gas has competition from home heating in the winter. Hydroelectric is subject to droughts. Coal supplies can be disrupted. This can all happen, but the solution to these risk factors isn't subsidies or mandates favoring any one generation source. As I suggested above, it should be a diverse mixture of supply sources so that if, say, a pipeline is shut down because of a leak, 
you have if you have a grid that's 30% gas, that's not that big a deal. If you have a grid that's 80% gas, that's a big problem. Renewables, though, present specific and greater challenges than some of these other sources uh, when it comes to the principles of abundance, affordability, and reliability. Wind and solar may seem abundant, but in practice, these facilities are very limited. Wind facilities generate in the real world only 33% of their listed capacity and solar only 22% of their listed capacity. So this limitation means that wind and solar are also not especially reliable because something has to back up all that capacity. We talked about batteries, uh, talked about natural gas already, so you have to have some backup capacity. And real world observation shows pretty clearly that renewables are contrary to affordability as, as well. In Europe, greater installations of wind and solar correlate directly with higher electricity prices. Denmark and Germany are the two countries with the highest percentage of gener electricity generation from wind. And Denmark has the highest electricity prices in Europe, and Germany has the fourth highest electricity prices in Europe. We also have, there was a recent uh, paper from the University of Chicago that found a correlation between state renewable portfolio standards and higher state electricity rates. There's also something that we need to consider about the unseen costs. Uh, in the last 10 years, uh, as discussed earlier, the fracking revolution has hugely decreased domestic natural gas prices. And during that same time, coal prices have also come down quite a bit. Yet, generally, electricity prices have not fallen. Coal and natural gas prices make up two-thirds of the costs, uh, make up two-thirds of our electricity generation, and the price of that coal and natural gas electricity is overwhelming. The majority of that is the price of the input of that energy input. So with the prices for coal and natural gas falling, electricity prices should be falling as well. The fact that we are not seeing that, I personally believe, is the primary reason is these efforts to force wind and solar, unreliable wind and solar, onto the grid is eating up those uh, price benefits that we should be seeing from lower coal and gas prices. So these couple points hopefully make clear that wind and solar aren't a free lunch. There, there are trade-offs that come along with it. And the points I mentioned have mentioned also don't even address some of the biggest trade-offs of wind and solar, uh, which are the vast resources needed to build and, as we discussed with batteries, to back them up. So an, another idea that is widely promulgated uh, with regard to renewables is this idea of 100% renewables. We can run our grid on 100% renewables or, or something close to it. Um, first of all, the 100% the is not really a realistic concept for basic physical reasons. The amount of land and mined resources that would be needed to achieve anything close to 100% renewables is, is so vast that it's hard to even conceptualize how, much, how many mines we need, how much material would require for that. But this goal, even anything close to it, is especially contrary to the principles of abundance, affordability, and reliability. Uh, because uh, on the abundance level, uh, the intermittent nature of wind and solar means that it's available irregularly, and not necessarily when humans need it. We have seen this act in action recently uh, in the UK, which is much further along the wind electricity generation curve than anywhere in the United States. Last year, they experienced several weeks of virtually no wind. And that had to be, the slack had to be taken up by coal and gas. This year, the UK experienced rolling blackouts when a major wind installation unexpectedly went offline. In Texas, uh, which has the highest wind, installed wind capacity in the United States, the state regulator during the summer has to encourage customers to use less in order to meet peak demand. And so these, pro these are problems of abundance. This, this should not be happening in a modern economy. You shouldn't have to worry about getting electricity at any given time. On affordability, uh, 
Mark Mills at the Manhattan Institute uh, has calculated that it requires three kilowatts of wind and solar installed capacity to replace every one kilowatt of combustion capacity, meaning gas or coal. So that means that wind and solar is three times more expensive, even if every single kilowatt of the installed capacity is the same, it looks like it's the same price. So you're talking about all this, this is much more in investment required to get the same amount of what you're getting. Uh, also, the 100% renewables grid or anything close to it is going to be a much larger grid. There's going to be a lot more physical infrastructure that has to be built. And the cost of all that investment is ultimately passed on to the rate payers. And on reliability, uh, we're ultimately talking about capacity. Is there enough generating capacity on the grid to meet peak demand? And on this score, wind and solar also add little to the grid. IER, we did a study of the capacity value of solar generation just for California. And what we found is that at low penetration rates of 5% and below, solar is actually a, a positive. It, it adds to the grid. It, every new kilowatt of solar uh, is added during the middle of the day. It helps meet peak demand, uh, the hottest part of the day, meet air conditioning demand. The problem is that once you go beyond that 5%, you lose any additional capacity added because what's known as the duck curve, you end up with your peak uh, energy requirements being after dark. So you, your, the idea of additional capacity, you can add as much solar as you want beyond that, but you still have to maintain some sort of capacity for once the sun goes down. So ultimately this means that, and this is, and this is in California in a sunny state where solar is actually very useful uh, in cloudier states, longer winters, if that percentage penetration rate is gonna be even lower. So finally, um, on the cost of renewables, there's, there is a lot of discussion that wind and solar have reached grid parity uh, with other sources of generation. And it's the idea that they're cost competitive with especially uh, nuclear and coal, even in the absence of subsidies. But to put it simply, this is, this is not really accurate. We can, we can allow that in certain states or applications, this might be the case. Again, the, the Arizona solar power, that might actually be the case. But it's not, it's not correct in most applications uh, or certainly not nationwide. Uh, as evidence for grid parity, advocates often point to the levelized cost of electricity estimates from sources like the Energy Information Agency Administration. And these show that wind and solar are competitive with nuclear and coal generation, though still not with gas. But crucially, these estimates are looking at new capacity versus new capacity. As I mentioned before, with demand flat and falling, we're not talking about needing new electricity generation capacity. So the appropriate comparison is not new wind and solar with new coal or nuclear. It's new wind and solar versus existing coal and nuclear. Uh, IER recently did a, our own levelized cost of electricity for existing resources in an effort to tease out this uh, comparison. And what we found is that all existing conventional coal, gas, nuclear, or hydro is substantially cheaper to continue running than new wind or solar. Additionally, they, even, even that calculation doesn't include additional factors that are, that are a little bit harder to quantify. One, the, the cost of wind and solar uh, in land requirements. You talk about uh, the, Brent right before me had a chart that's showing the, the density of for generation. Uh, wind and solar require a huge amount more land. That's, that doesn't factor into the levelized cost because there's not really a way to quantify that, but you're talking about taking away people's land to build these facilities. The cost in wind and solar doesn't uh, consider the cost of disposal or recycling. These batteries are toxic. You, you have to take the wind turbines to end up at the landfill. You have to dispose of these things and they only last 20, maybe 30 years. 
which is much less than a, a coal, nuclear, or gas plant. The cost of wind and solar doesn't take into account the inevitable increase in resource prices for things like cobalt or lithium, which are going to occur if we're talking about a large-scale transition to wind and solar. Then the cost also doesn't account for the cost of maintaining all the backup gas generation that we've talked about or the battery generation or what have you. So simply put, the claim of grid parity uh, really can only be made by looking at a very small slice of what the uh, market is doing. And just finally, the last thing in closing, uh, I'll keep this brief because this is a little more the Indiana Public Service Commission uh, topic, but for PERPA, the Public Utility Regulatory Policies Act, uh, FERC just announced a proposed rulemaking to update their regulations are from date to 1980 for implementing this law. And they've been talking, they are proposed and updating for the rule. And this is going to be a significant uh, issue that's going to come up for the states, partly the Public Service Commission, but it's also going to be an issue for the legislature because the goal, FERC's proposed rule is proposing to send a lot of, a lot more flexibility back to the states in regulating uh, some of these, uh, the, the mandatory purchase obligations for wind and solar. And I just want to uh, highlight one, we did, a, we did a paper on purple reform as well. And I just want to highlight one anecdote that shows how, how crazy the system had gotten before this. Um, in Colorado, the state put out a competitive tender for just renewable generation. They got a lot of very competitive bids. They selected the lowest cost ones. Um, but one of the losing bidders uh, went to court and claimed that under PURPA, he was guaranteed a contract just by operation of law. He won the case, and the whole auction had to be thrown out. All these cheap bids for renewable power had to be thrown out. And so that's, that's just a one small note of how outrageous the purpose system has gotten. Uh, so that's going to be a reform issue. Again, a little more public service commission, but I want to put that on your radars.